Hello, everybody. Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and join us today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. They fall into one of several different categories. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others build and create their businesses, what we call the business creators. And on the other side of that coin, we have all the do-it-yourselfers out there who'd like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow your business. If you're one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore our episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Also check us out on iTunes. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. Just search for a business creators radio show. We add fresh content every Tuesday. And so far we have over 130 episodes and continuing to grow quickly. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different and a little bit out of the norm here. And we're going to be talking about what's known as the digital renaissance. And this is something that is its a very unique concept. It's something that I'm going to let our guest expert tell you about. And we're also going to be talking about this concept called a non-agency. I know that a lot of our business creators have agencies. So you're going to be very interested to hear about this non-agency concept. And to help us with that, we have Michelle Collins of anonagency.com, A-N-O-N-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. And just to tell you a little bit about Michelle before we bring her in, she's an entrepreneur, she's the president of Entrevue Incorporated, and founder of a non-agency, a creative consultancy found, formed by a collective of designers, technologists, lighting, and spatial architects. As a digital creative director, strategist, and executive producer, Michelle brings a rare blend of business management and experience design vision. Her showcase of work includes Diesel, Microsoft, Perry Ellis, Kate Spade, Uniqlo, Chloe, Bloomingdale's, and Saks Fifth Avenue. When she's not creating digital wonders, she's an avid wine enthusiast. As a wine enthusiast, and she's already got me thinking about a glass of wine, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, she hosts wine events and showcases some of her favorite wine finds. Somebody you definitely have to get to know. Welcome aboard, Michelle. Thanks, Adam. How are you? Oh, couldn't be better if you paid me a million dollars. Shouldn't discourage you from the attempt, however, <laughs> just to see what happens. Uh, I read off your official bio, but what I'd like to do here, just take a quick step back. Some of our listeners haven't really had a chance to get to know you yet, and we want to just help them understand what it is about your background that has led you to where you are today with the intersection of brilliance and passion where you currently shine. Sure. I mean, my path was very non-traditional. You know, I think a lot of people in my field start in the art school arena and then make their way into this world. Um, I actually studied broadcast journalism, so uh, I was always a big believer of storytelling. Um, and through the years, you know, I moved from California and I moved to New York and fell in love. I mean, I was here for the first few weeks and just knew this was the place for me. Um, but the thing I really, really, really loved about New York was that people talk about how fast it is. Um, I always thought as it was an opportunity to constantly change, grow, and evolve. So. That's, that's really how I started. I started out with somebody who thought I was going to get a degree in journalism and uh, love the art of storytelling, then moved to New York and figured out that fashion was the pulse of things, and then naturally the progression was 
anything to deal with uh, consumer marketing, PR, fashion was just, you know, it was everything that I've always thought that I was as a child and that I wanted to be, as, you know, when I grew up. So right. I ended up uh, evolving into this through the through the fortune of being in a city that's just as great as New York. Well, you know, I'm 39 years old, and I still can't figure out what the heck I want to do when I grow up. So I'm glad you figured it out. <laughs> um, I think so. I think so. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, that, now, that being said, uh, what I love about your story is this whole thing where you thought you were on the path, and then it turns out that your true journey, your true destination, is something significantly different. Uh, myself, I grew up, my entire childhood, I wanted to be an attorney. And the reason I thought I wanted to be an attorney, let's put it that way, is because what I really wanted was to be president of the United States. And somehow I convinced myself, even though I, even as a child, studied American presidents. By the time I was 10 years old, I could recite them all in order. Uh, This is something I was really passionate about. I thought, become a lawyer and you can be president. So I went to college, got a political science degree with with, uh, minors in history and Middle East studies. Then I looked at the LSAT, which is that test you take before you go to law school, and I thought, Uh "Eh, I don't know. Then I attended a one-day, three-hour seminar uh, taught by uh, a civil attorney that was for people who were aspiring attorneys. And after hearing his stories for three hours, I thought he had a very interesting life. I found him to be a very charismatic individual who really knew his stuff and was honest and blunt and told the truth. And I said, ah, there's no way in hell I'm doing this. So I drifted for a year. Then I went for my MBA. I nailed that. Uh, My goal was to become a training and development director for a Fortune 500 company. In fact, I did get some job offers. In fact, uh, there were two companies that weren't even hiring, but they decided to create positions just for me because uh, they found what I had to bring to their organization very interesting. And I already had two years' experience working in a training department for a mid-sized company, training both employees and providers in their network because they were an insurance company for health services. Turned both those offers down because I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug. So for two years, in addition to holding... And for two years, in addition to holding down my day job and getting promoted there, I also did a thing on the side working with a training development company, a small business, uh, helping them design their presentations. And I helped a guy do research that became his second book. So it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, Got it to the point where I could do it full time. That took me two years. If I knew then what I know now, that would have been more like two weeks. And uh and uh, then I met somebody in the hall who was looking for help, uh, uh, somebody, some contractors to help her with her internet marketing agency. Took that path, and I've uh, been through a few ups and downs, twists and turns, exciting stuff leading to the Business Creators Institute. Haven't looked back, don't want to look back. Looks great. So that's what I love about hearing that. And we're about to turn the mic pretty much over to you, Michelle, but there is one more question that if I don't ask this, I'm going to get angry hate mail from my listeners because we ask this of everybody who comes on the Business <laughs> Creators Radio Show. So I'm going to sort of do the old drum roll here, which is going to get my cats excited. They love when I do this. And as follows, here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. A lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that we say they need to do except for time and money. This is something we ask everybody who appears on the Business Creators Radio Show. And what I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of ways the question is interpreted. So how do time and money impact what you're going to share with us today, Michelle? 
time and money. Well, being an entrepreneur, you time is always on your side, actually. That's what I loved about being an entrepreneur is that I realized I could work as much or as little as I saw fit. And it was really up to me to kind of control my destiny. So unlike the pressures of 10 hours in an office, an entrepreneur can literally get up, take a break, go through the park, take a stroll, come back, work. Sure, we might work nonstop to a degree, but we still control it. So time, time is valuable, but time is our own. And money, I mean, money is really, you put a price on what the value of your time is, and it translates into money. So I, I think it's pretty straightforward, at least on the entrepreneurial path. I think it's, there's no looking back. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And that's a, and that's a pretty great answer. And I love how you say the time is actually on our side because to a significant degree, it really is. You ever hold that, heard that old joke that entrepreneurs are the type of people that will work 80 hours a week to avoid a 40-hour week job? Yep, I have heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so well, there's, there's, there's a big reason why because that additional 40 hours a week is our freedom from having other people dictate what our week is going to be like based on our position on an organizational chart and having to sit in a cubicle and have meetings and all this other stuff that, believe me, uh, some people have nightmares about Freddy Krueger. My idea of a nightmare is sit, sitting in my cubicle and being summoned into a meeting in the conference room. I, I couldn't agree more. There's something <laughs> really, really just amazing about knowing that, you know, if I get writer's block, I can just walk outside and have a coffee and sit and watch the sun you know, whatever it needs, what I need to do to find that inspiration again, that's really in, in my control. And so time is valuable. And um, But, yeah, time is definitely on our side, and we get to control that. Here in Las Vegas, uh, we don't really have a winter. We have a cold period where it can get down to about <laughs> 55 degrees at night, and in, uh, and in the daylight it might only hit 60. But it is bright and sunny 360 days out of the year, and eight months out of the year are what we consider balcony weather. So other than the really cold period right around the beginning of the year and the brain-boiling period around July and August where it's about 118 degrees at high noon and you literally feel your brain matter sizzling if you stand outside without a hat, uh, we have what's known as balcony weather, or at least to me it's known as balcony weather, where I do have a home office. So if you come to my home, there is a room you can tell it's a business office, and I do my paperwork here and such like that. But I do my workout on the balcony, which also has a desk, a chair, and all that other stuff. So it's like walking to a second office, and that, to me, is worth the extra 40 hours a week because I can, I can sit out there and I can crank all day long. Well, I have to tell you, New York, our culture is the culture of hotel lobbies. <laughs> We've got yeah. we work these great work share offices, but I'll tell you, a lot of business deals and a lot of things happen in the lobby of some of the coolest hotels in New York City. And I got to and I got to tell you, you know, you talk about New York. You mean like New York City? New York City. You guys have some of the nicest places to hang out in the world. That I got to tell agree you. agree with that. Yeah. I, yep. I don't think anybody could disagree with that. No matter what you think of New York City, you got to at least concede that it's got some of the best hangouts you're going to find anywhere on the planet. So, Michelle, what is this digital renaissance you're telling us about? Yeah, digital renaissance, it's, it's a philosophy. I also see it as a movement. All right. Um, I think that what you've been used to seeing when people talk about digital is, you know, you see big jumbo LED screens. Digital used to be about, 
you know, e-com, mobile devices. It was, it was so much more of a concrete thing that what has been kind of com coming under the radar is that the emergence of what a digital renaissance is, is that now those that actually create the experiences that inspire and innovate um, on a day-to-day -day basis are actually artists. So the art of digital is now more of a philosopher's approach. So it's no longer about just pure coding, development, plugging hardware and LED screens. Now we're talking about having the ability to understand how to evoke inspiration, action, motivation from everyday people. So our goal is not to just build something that's smart. Our goal is to build something that inspires you to take action. And if you think about the Renaissance, the Renaissance was this kind of resurgence of, of science and philosophy and arts and history. And in order to do what we do today and some of the projects that I think people are so accustomed to seeing, um, that are like these wonderful art installations or these great, beautiful digital windows that you're seeing at some of the biggest stores in the world. That in itself is, is more than just somebody sitting in a room saying, I'm going to program this application or I'm going to design something. It really is a team of artists in their own respective fields that have come together and formed an alliance and a bond about a vision of what is this experience that we want to deliver to you on a personal level. And that's always the goal. So digital renaissance is about the philosophy. It's also about the kind of people that I look for when I work with teams or when I make recommendations with clients or we're building teams. I'm looking for a renaissance person. Some people used to call me a unicorn. So a unicorn is obviously this mythical creature. Yeah. It doesn't exist because it's so rare. Well, more and more now, those that are in this side of the business of our world, they are unicorns. We are thinkers. We are artists. We are craftsmen. We are digital fanatics. Uh, we're nerds. Uh, we're all those things. But that's what you have to be to live in our space now. So um, the renaissance is here, and it's a matter of understanding how it applies to people and why what you see and hear all the time is about experiences. I want something that's an experience. When I go into the store, I, I'm experiencing something. When you see content that's moving on a screen, it's designed to evoke an emotion. It's an experience. So that's it in a nutshell. It is a philosophy, and it is definitely an art form at this point. I love that. I, I, think, that's, I think that's great. And, you know, we are seeing – so much more happening in the digital world. Some of it I think is awesome, and some of it I think is very extremely annoying. Uh, let me be candid with you, Michelle. I have a face for radio. I also have a voice. <laughs> I also have a voice for radio. It's just one. Of, it's just my gift. My voice is my gift. My looks, not so much. I'm a I'm a good looking guy in person, but there's something that the camera does to me. I just don't know why. Me and cameras just don't get along. I mean, I'm attractive if you see me in person. But look at me on a video or look at me in a photo that hasn't gotten its, you know, hasn't passed through my designer on my way to the Internet. And, oh, God, <laughs> you know, so, uh, <laughs> that, and, and that's just how it is. In fact, uh, I, I mean, there's a there's a cigar shop I go to here locally in Las Vegas, and I'm kind of a regular there. And I never even said anything about I host a podcast or I have the business creators radio show or I'm an online marketer. But uh, independently, a couple of the other regulars said, Hey, do you by any chance work on the radio? 
and I go about the Business Creators Radio Show, and there's this one guy, every time I go in there and he's there, he says, ah, here's the producer. I like it. <laughs> I like it. It works, it works for me. So uh, what I'd like to um, just have you comment on a little bit further before we get on to this non-agency concept is, just to be clear, digital doesn't have to be video, does it? It can be other things. Yes, absolutely. It's, digital is such a broad term. Um, you know, it used to be that people thought digital was the Internet, um, computer devices, and screens. And now digital is really kind of expanded past that. So um, one of my biggest passions is uh, the evolution of responsive lighting in environments. That's digital. Right. We consider that to be a digital art form and part of our experience design. Um, other things, yeah, sure, video content is digital, um, but digital is an experience now. It's not just a tactile thing, which is, you know, I hope that makes sense, but that's that's the expansion of digital in today's world. So we're also talking about, like, the lighting in some of those awesome hangouts you go to. Absolutely, and wow. in digital and lighting, what, what's really beautiful is, I'm sure you've been kind of keeping up, this idea that artificial intelligence is evolving, and I, yes. I was able to work on this great project with a, a humanoid robot debut, um, which was quite fascinating. It was artificial intelligence that was able to adapt to you and to sense your feeling and your mood through all kinds of complicated algorithms. So on one hand, pretty creepy. On the other hand, it's pretty brilliant. Um, but what that says is that even the simplest thing is lighting. Lighting can now be designed to respond to a person's ethnicity, to the time of day, to the temperature, to the amount of people in a room. Wow. It really isn't just this boring sense of the light switches on or off, fluorescent light on or off. And you see it. You see it with all the smart LED lighting technology that's involving in homes, you know, with Philips and all the different brands competing for that market. What you're seeing is this idea that you can now control your environment and set this mood and tone in use of smart technology, which is also part of the digital landscape. But um, it's getting a little further down the road. We're talking sensors can pick up your heart rate, your heat, re you know, read your heat temperature, and begin to understand how to create this environment that is more conducive to you. So once again, going back to digital renaissance, we would never have thought that way before. We would have thought you were walking into a physical space and you were walking into a space. Now we're looking at how do we make that space conform to you so it becomes part of you, which is kind of a beautiful thought. You know, and, and some of this stuff isn't exactly new. Uh, I mean, because if you think about the science, like let's say, for instance, you're having like a large gathering, like, uh, like an event uh, where there's a speech being done, like let's say a political rally, for instance. Uh, it's been known for centuries that there are certain things you can do in terms of how you configure the room and how you position the room. And even 70 years ago, they knew how to pump in the right kind of music to get people excited for when the, uh, the candidate or the guest speaker or whatever walks out on stage. And it creates this almost ecstatic eruption of applause. Uh, it makes people feel like they're part of a movement and they become hypnotized, if not mesmerized, by what's happening in the room. And I, I've been had the pleasure of being to a few candidate rallies in our current election cycle and just seeing how some of the campaigns are doing really good with this and 
one who I'm not going to name uh, is doing actually very bad with it because I found myself in a room where there are like 18 people in metal folding chairs. That wasn't exactly an ecstatic experience. <laughs> some of the, some of the others, I, right. you know what? I'm just going to come out and say it. I've, I've been to one of Donald Trump's rallies when he was here in Las Vegas and just the way they positioned the room and had us all move to the front to get 5,000 people in a ballroom. And what I was paying attention to is just the music that they played for the hour before he came on stage. And just uh, because I've studied this stuff, the aesthetics of what that does to the brain and what it does to your levels of excitement. And then when they brought him out on stage, all the lighting in the room abruptly shifted. And it just completely focused everybody's attention. And I'm citing that as one recent example. But I've been to many internet marketing seminars, especially some of the larger ones, like some of the things that Armin Morin does, for instance, with Learn University and such, where they do some of these same tactics. And it really helps to draw your audience into you. So what you're introducing to us basically is taking all that to a completely different level where now we're using smart technology and lighting. And you said, you said the lighting and the technology in the room can detect ethnicities of people in the room. How does that work? Yeah, there's, um, there's software that exists that through devices like a connect or other types of devices, there's an ability to read um, what we would call the user, the participant, um, and be able to gauge the uh, general ethnicity of the person. Down, well, I mean, obviously we can figure out gender, and, um, and that's always been kind of the case. But um, I think something that you, you brought up, actually, I guess the way to also introduce what has been done in the past was very mechanical, and it was very programmed. And although methodical, still very programmed. And what we do now is more like theater. It's more like that's the art form of what we do. So it's not light shift, speaker comes on, um, chairs in this position. It's, it's so much more subtle than that, and there's so many other moving pieces. And ironically, the people that do very well now in the digital renaissance age for our industry are people that actually come from theater world backgrounds that used to do set design or used to manage the audiovisual and lighting because they understand what this is. And, and this is really a theater, a theater of an experience that we're delivering to you using smart technologies and digital tools, but it's still really, it's an art form. So it's a theater. This is our theater. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and we'll probably come back to that a little bit more as we go through the rest of our hour here. I have a feeling this one's going to go really quick, and we're not going to cover anywhere near anything. So I better move on to the next topic. Um, what is this non-agency concept that you are telling us about or about to tell us about? I've been on the edge of my seat for this one. I won't even let you tell me in the green room because <laughs> I want to be surprised too. What is a non-agency? A non-agency is that uh, it's very simple. We don't live in the times that we once did when the big ad agencies existed. We live in a time where the millennials are ruling the world and the world is social and we are connected and we are communal. And the reality is there are so many entrepreneurs that whether they're 22, 23, they are becoming some of the most influential people that are on the map. Um, And in terms of what has been traditionally an advertising, marketing agency, staffing agency world where they controlled the funnel of talent. The model is now reversed. The talent controls the, you know, the realm of what the opportunity is. 
they are no longer just freelancers that are looking to work with agencies or brands. They are entrepreneurs. They are people who, like you and like me, can think, can do, and can galvanize teams on their own. So they don't need to live in a structure. So I understand because over the years I've had to build teams. I've worked both on the client side and then I've worked on the agency side. And then I've also been an independent business Understanding that there's one very big thing that's very obvious. There is definitely a dissatisfaction um, amongst clients who feel that the value of what they pay for and what they get is questionable. When you're looking at a, you know, a digital art installation, for example, that is a minimum price tag of a quarter of a million dollars, a client's going to really expect something that's going to create traction for brand loyalty, brand recognition, and hopefully purchase. Right. Agency side, the agencies need to go find these, let's just say it, digital renaissance thinkers. And there are not that many of them. So when you find them, you put them on the team and they act as your representative of your agency, but they're really not. So I have found that I've been tapped to be one of those. And it's always been very dissatisfying. Um, I've always felt like, you know, my time was not my own. I didn't get credit for my work. Um, and I didn't feel the collaboration, you know, that when you start something great on a project that you initially hope for. Um, so I decided to just not do that. I decided that the reality is, over the years, I have formed such an amazing network through social and professional with other like-minded individuals as myself. That being said, I've looked at so many industries that have been doing this very successfully. If you look at the music industry, how it changed, the film industry, yeah. how it changed, business consulting and IT consulting have been doing this forever. It's about a network of talented consultants who have expertise that you bring to the table and that clients understand that this is what they're signing up for. So I decided that non-agency was very specifically a non-agency option. Agencies aren't going to disappear. But I do believe that clients, brands deserve an opportunity to have an alternative option to actually create the team and the dream that they actually were looking for in the first place with all the transparency that comes along with it. Then on the flip side, it gives opportunities to other unicorns, other digital renaissance philosophers like myself to come together and contribute, collaborate on something that we're really proud of. So, um, you know, I would say it's it's been done in other industries. I just don't think it's ever been done in ours. And I think now is the time. Social, millennials, we demand more than what is existing. And we, de we also deserve credit for the work that we put forth. And I think clients understand that and they're willing to recognize that. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, it is kind of funny. Uh, I mentioned the, my cigar shop earlier that I hang out at. There's a guy that comes in there every once in a while. His name is... Angelo, and he worked for ad agencies in New York City. It's funny we're talking about New York City and ad agencies. You know that TV show Mad Men? Sure. That was his life. I mean, he lived that. I mean, he's there to, I mean, I've had conversations with him about how much of that was really true and how much of that was theatrical for entertainment purposes. And by and large, that's what it was really like. 
uh, you had these very large agencies you dealt with that had that level of control, and that was their thought process and how they did things back in the day. And I don't really see many millennials going to work for a firm like that and getting very far, not only because the culture has changed, but just the way we do things has changed. Absolutely, and the talent, the talent that is coming up through the ranks, they're not the people that are the mad men generation. They are the people that are creating revolutionary tools and applications, and they're even the great fashion bloggers, food bloggers, the ones that are galvanizing people to come together and to take action to experience the world. So, yeah, I mean, the agency model is flawed. It, it doesn't satisfy the talent, and let's be frank, without the talent, it doesn't exist. Whereas before, it was the agency, it was the house, it was the building, right? We built retail experiences that you would walk into. Now, we build experiences that conform to you. And a non-agency is a model that says, we understand the times, we understand the talent, we hear it, we understand and believe in it, and we live by it. So that's that is the model in itself, and it's um it's been something that has been you know kind of in my mind I think for years. Um, when you're an entrepreneur and you end up working for both the client, the brand, and you work for the agencies, you see the the gap. And I had a compelling desire to bridge that gap. Yeah. Now uh, starting to bring all this together before we get into a couple other details here. Um, how do uh, digital renaissance and this non-agency movement? How do two movements and philosophies connect? How what brings them together? The digital renaissance is an understanding of a philosophy. There's a type of mind and a set and people that are doers, that are thinkers, that are artists. We are not just one person. We have multiple facets of personalities that we need to live. That's what makes us so compelling in our space of digital. Um, the non-agency is a way for you to be exactly who you are, take credit, have your voice heard, and yet do everything that you love. And it's not about just being one thing. It's not about being just a developer. We're asking you and we're expecting of you as, as a team, as a consultant, that you bring more to the table than that. You bring you. You bring your experiences. You bring your perspective. Um, and sure, you may have something that you're a little bit better at than other things, but that's where it all comes together. It didn't used to be like that. Digital was about I want a developer. I want a project manager. I want an art director. You know, that, those days are over. Just to be one facet, one dimensional won't last. And clients understand that. And frankly, talent doesn't want to work with other talent that doesn't have the ability to think differently and be a human being, not just the order taker, as we call it. Right. Uh, you know, uh, up until 2010, I used to own a web development company, and then we basically closed it down and moved into a consulting realm. Uh, there were two reasons why I did that. The first reason was I just didn't really want to. I, it wasn't my idea of the kind of business I wanted to be in. So, you know, we, we recruited our best clients to move with us in our evolution, and a lot of the others went elsewhere. In fact, uh, a lot of them went to another firm, and we helped transition them over, and that was fine. Uh, the other reason was is I even – you know, five, six years ago, 2010, I was seeing the end of the traditional web design industry. Uh, there used to be, you know, web de designers used to be a dime a dozen. Now, uh, if you want to find a quote-unquote web designer, you're actually going to have to do a search. 
because you ain't really going to find too many people that brand themselves as just that. And even those that lead with, we are a web design firm, are going to have the digital aspect to it as well, if they're anything at all. I mean, having had a chance to check out your website, for instance, uh, Michelle, you know, I see this uh, at nonagency.com. It's a very wide open, spacious type of website. Very, very basic content, but it really gets the the word and the message across in literally just a few sentences. And that's kind of, you know, as I see it, where we are today. In fact, one of my longtime clients who's been with me for over 10 years, uh, back 10 years ago, the whole rage was, you know, long form sales copy and, and uh, you know, all this, you know, writing, 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 and writing, and writing. And uh, the guy is like, I think he's about 60 years old now, so he's not exactly a millennial, but he's very much in tune with the things we're talking about here today. And as we're moving into this digital renaissance era, he's excited because now he doesn't have to use all those words. <laughs> you know, you're so right, Adam. I mean, the intent of, of the way we approached our site was there are only a few things that we know for a fact. One, our work collective speaks for itself. Right. To watch our showcase portfolio, it's, it's visual, it's immersive, it's engaging. Um, simplicity. We're talking about a time where we're looking for experiences, not materialistic things as much. And it really was important for for me and for our collective that we just simply said it simple. Let's keep it simple and let's let our clients decide what it is they need. We want to have a conversation. We don't want you to spend hours on our website. We want you to see the visuals. We want you to see the simplicity and ask yourself if these people are so confident that that is all that they represent, then let's have a conversation to peel back the onion and and that's really all it was. It was we don't want to oversell it. We're not trying to. We're all individual people. And if we all try to put our personality into one site, it could take three years. And by the way, agencies do take three years to build their own website. So yeah, we don't want to true. do that. that that's, that's, another reason, <laughs> that's another reason why I got out of web design. When I was talking about you know this thing I didn't want to do, is that model was uh, creating an attract an attraction that didn't really serve its customers the best way. And, you know, in hindsight, I will say that out loud because it fostered an environment where building your website is this big thing. And, uh, you know, the old thing about, you know, you sign a contract to get your website built and it's like five or $6,000 mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And everybody swears on their mother's grave, even though their mother is still alive, that this thing is going to be up and live in four weeks. It's going to be the best project ever. We've all learned our lessons and this one's going to be a winner. Six months later, uh, you have the clients and the designer mutually in their own corners in the ring, um, viewing the idea of hiring a hitman to just take care of the other as a viable option at this point. Why, why, why do we get there? Because it, creates a, because it creates, to me, an environment where uh, we're looking to cross too many I's and dot too many T's and say things the wrong way, like I just said, uh, to the point where we net, where we uh, – uh, replace activity for actual results, uh, which is part of the reason why at the Business Creators Institute, one thing we did keep from the web design days was a coaching module called Draw the Map for Your Website Content Coaching, where we get between uh, and reunite the designer and the client and develop a content strategy. And what I tell people is, you may not believe this now, but just uh, you know, make the investment today and let's schedule the call. And you're going to find you already have 85% of this content that's holding up this site from getting live. You just don't see it. 
And son of a gun, if I don't get that work every single time. And what I'm seeing evolve, especially with some of our recent clients of that coaching module, is we are moving a lot more towards simplicity. Like when I look at a nonagency.com, and uh, Michelle, how many people uh, do you get interviewed on podcasts that keep saying your website URL over and over again? Well, the really smart ones and the ones that we really like. Exactly. Okay. Oh, so. uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flatter me. That's perfect. Uh, flattery will get you everywhere, as they say. Um, I'm going to highlight one more thing before we get back to a few more questions here for uh, for our listeners. Is when I go to your services page, and this is very interesting. Uh, now, again, for folks listening, if you go to this and this is different, things evolve. But as of right now, when we're doing this interview, I look at your services page, and it directs us mostly to a video on Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, where you do a, a showcase of your work, and then there's a listing of the various people in your, no, in your non-agency, uh, and it shows their names and the titles they have within your non-agency, and it links to their LinkedIn profile. So correct me if I'm wrong, but what I think you're doing here is you're saying we are that amalgamation of talent. You're not coming here just to get one thing done. You're seeing how the synergies come together to create the result for you and just get to know us and you'll see what you mean. You'll see what I mean. That's exactly right. And um, and more importantly, it was about transparency. The, The philosophy and the mantra for us is an Albert Einstein quote, which is creativity is contagious. Pass it on. Yeah. Um, and we live by that. Um, and for us, a non-agency isn't about trying to pretend to be this institution that lives in a New York design loft or a building. It's about we are real people with real experiences, real talent. We have done the work that you have experienced. You know, whether we have been given the credit or we have had the opportunity to meet you, this is our work and this is what we bring to the table. It's about giving the voice to the I and showing the we. So if a client says, I want Paul, I'm happy to provide Paul because Paul is a consultant and Paul is an entrepreneur and he's part of our collective. If the client loves Paul and wants to build a team, then Paul comes back to the collective because we share. We're a community. And, uh, you know, that's the philosophy of what I think we all know to be what is real social social media, millennial philosophy, the way that things are happening in this world. So, right. yeah, it's really nice that you caught that. Thank you for pointing that out, Adam. Well, I, I, it's, it's, not, it's not only to pat you on the back, because, but, you know, although I am praising you for doing this, it's because of something we're seeing a lot more in content marketing, where rather than worrying about building out this amazing about page and having people write down their bios, is in many cases when we do the content coaching, for instance, we simply instruct our clients to provide a list of people they want to identify as their team members and then get those team members to to supply one sentence about themselves because most of how we're going to carry it is we're going to link to those team members' various social media profiles. And sometimes it's, you know, everybody does their LinkedIn profile. Sometimes it's everybody does their Facebook profile. Sometimes it's everybody does their Twitter profile. Sometimes it's, you know, whatever each person wants to do. But the idea is, is we introduce the personality by letting people research who Michelle Collins is before making decisions this is somebody they want to speak with because you know another thing about especially like company websites is 
you know, we're so worried about, and I, you know, this phrase that I hate so much, traffic to your website. I think it's the worst phrase ever conceived by man. Uh, I could go on about this for the whole hour. But, you know, in many cases, we have to look at websites as they kind of already know that they want to engage with this, but they need help making the decision. I completely agree. Yeah. I, I, I think that it's, it's well, it's reassuring to me because, you know, it's nice to hear from a fellow colleague in the strategic side of the world that, in fact, you know, it is something that is uh, also being followed. But once again, it's, it's very organic. I don't think anything we're introducing here doesn't feel right. You know, what we're saying and what we're doing by action indeed all feels very natural and feels very right. It's not force. It's not a gimmick. It's what it is. You know, and we are not an agency. We are a non-agency. We are a collective of people and talent. And we are interested in working with you or with each other. Right. So what I'd like to do here is, you know, we're about two-thirds of the way through. I knew this was going to fly. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges we're seeing as we evolve through this digital renaissance and the rise of the non-agency movement? I think the biggest challenge, well, from a from the digital renaissance perspective is, and this sounds very cliche and you've heard this before, but it's very true, technology in all the possibilities of the realms uh, is evolving rapidly. Artificial intelligence is here faster than I think we expected. Um, the challenge there would then be how do we as people who maybe were not as technical evolve into the next phase, which is what I see happening. Um, those people that thought they never would have to learn a line of code or understand how to program something, um, I'm here to say it now. In the next two years, there's going to need to be some element of that in their repertoire, no matter who you are, whether you're a traditional artist or not. It's going to be said you have to be able to get your hands dirty in some element of the technical part. So that is going to be a challenge. That's a steep learning curve. You know, I always go back um, to Future Shock. You know, I think Toffler really did a great job in that publication, which I live by, which is right. so telling, right? Um, so we're going to experience that version very quickly, and that is going to be a steep curve for a lot of people. And, you know, and I think in terms of the actual talent side of the world and the non-agency model, there are going to be so many talented people, and I think you're going to see a lot of these collectives or forming, but the reality is they may not all have the tenure of the experience and the legacy. So I, I would say the one thing that's quite refreshing about our collective is we've all worked together, and whether or not we are the millennial generation or we are the gen different generation, I'm not going to give those away, but right. there's real, true experience behind it, and there's a real legacy. So um, that's where it's going to get challenging for clients. There are going to be a lot of really talented collectives and people available, but you've got to figure out who you can work with on a level, on a personal level, and that's going to be a challenge. Well, yeah. and I mean, that's always been the, the human condition. And what, I, and what I see is not only the challenge, but the opportunity there is think about when we all used to work for big agencies and big companies and things like that is uh, you were placed on a team and you had to find a way to get along with people that you would never willingly be in the same room with. But True. What we have now with the non-agency movement is you get to kind of feel your way through that. You get to work with somebody a little bit, see what it's all about, decide you either do or don't want to work with them longer term. And it also facilitates the creation of business alliances because since 
we're not linking up and becoming staff of agencies, so to speak. Uh, I mean, I look at some of the folks who are listed at a nonagency.com, and these folks may be uh, – I, I don't know the facts here, nor you know, do I think is really all that – you know, important for what we're talking about here, but a lot of these folks may be connected to a number of different organizations, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, I, I, I tell you one thing: I've always resisted uh, whenever, whenever anybody's ever tried to come to my company in any of its permutations over the past 13 years. We're now on our fourth iteration of how we do business, and they come to me saying, "We're looking for you to be our one-stop shop for everything." Uh, I say, well, that kind of ends the conversation right here, because if you're going to subscribe to one person's tunnel vision, your business will not succeed. That's uh, 100%, Adam. Uh, I think that the beauty of the model is that it allows for you know, scalability, flexibility, diversity, and it, it's always changing. It grows. And you know, we may not have Paul, Julian, Daniel, Philip, or others here. In you know, six months, it might be seven new um, members, but it really is going to be about what's right for you, you as a person who makes the decision for your organization, and then internally as talent, what's right for you at the time in your career. Because let's be honest, if you look at the profiles of most of the uh, millennials, they all will tell you they're entrepreneurs. I mean, look at WeWork office spaces. They didn't just rise because there weren't opportunities. Everyone is going to be an entrepreneur, an artist, a musician, a world traveler. It's going to be the world of just a multitude of multifaceted personalities that equal one voice and one life. Yeah, uh, that's, that's very true. So as we go through here, and we're looking for folks who are involved in this digital renaissance, um, how would you define a digital renaissance expert? Uh, I know you've touched on some of these things already, but just so that we have a focus point in our conversation, how do you define a digital renaissance expert? A digital renaissance expert, um, first and foremost, I, and I, I do say this with all seriousness, you have to love technology. You have to embrace it. can't be afraid of it. Um, you should also be a true fan of creativity. And I'm not saying art because that sounds a little too highbrow. I'm saying creativity, and creativity comes in many different forms. Some people like to sculpt. Some people like to paint. Some people are musicians, but it's creativity. It's front and center. And then the third piece of it is that you don't believe that you just need to be the maestro that directs, that you have a compelling need to be immersed in an active participant, so you're very hands-on which means that you will have multitude of skills and be able to contribute right. in more than one role on a project. And, and also, you know, we touched on this before, a sense of theater, a sense of, of wanting to deliver this kind of amazing experience that people can immerse in. Um, and there is a bit of a philosophical, like, philanthropy. You have, to, you have to really love people because you are designing this experience to make people happy, to make people inspired. Um, so I think that all comes together, but that's what it takes. So it's a little different than the old school advertising industry days, I think. Right, right. So we've spoken a lot about how things have evolved up until now. What can we expect to see in the next year or two in your estimation? In the next year or two, I think it goes back to what I was mentioning, that there is definitely going to be another steep um, kind of transition, and I think it's going to be very much about um, being technical. And when I say technical, I mean understanding why hardware elements, so 
ladies and gentlemen, if you can't put your stereo system together, now is the time to learn. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, right? Um, and understanding how physical things work together and being able to troubleshoot and fix those things, but also beginning to understand a programming language, which you know was not as much a big part of where we are today. There are those that were gifted that did that, but even artists, and this is what I see coming out of school, even traditional artists now have to learn how to code. In order to bring your vision to life in this age, you're going to need to be technical, so you're going to need to have enough of an understanding of how technical software programming development works in order to survive, and honestly, in order to communicate. Yeah, um, so basically the days of being able to say, well, I don't really know that technology stuff. That's for these young kids. Uh, we're a little bit beyond that. Oh, it, it's way beyond that, and it's not. I'm not a developer. I'm not a programmer. It doesn't matter. You need to be able to speak their language. And, you know, it's kind of like the rise of the technical people. I mean, that's that's the next frontier. So well, that's what I see in the next few years. Yeah, and, and just to crystallize that in a very simple example, for some of our listeners who may not be quite in the digital renaissance just yet, um, I'm thinking of an example, and this was about oh, this was about 10 years ago when I first started in business. I mean, I don't even know this person anymore, but it was so long. But I knew somebody, and uh, she had this vision that she was going to start a virtual assistance agency, like a, like a legion of, of mm-hmm. VAs. And she herself did not even know how to log into WordPress and put a blog post. Uh, but she said, well, that doesn't matter because <laughs> I'm not gonna actually going to do this stuff. I'm going to charge the money, and I'm going to pay other people to do it. Well, the funny thing is, is she started approaching VAs to join her agency, and it turned out that, unbeknownst to her, she approached a couple of the people, a couple of people who I knew, a couple of VAs who I knew and had relationships with, and they came to me on the QT and they said, "Well, so and so just asked me about joining her firm. Uh, tell her if you want that if she ever brings such crap to me again, I will punch her in the nose." <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, was not, it was not subtle, yeah. and and uh, without mentioning specifics, I went back to my p- person who was going to found this VA agency, and I said, you know, you probably, if you want to found a VA agency, I would suggest you take on a few VA clients of your own right now and actually learn how to do this, because I'm hearing whispers in the wind that there ain't nobody's going to help you. Uh, uh, do slave work for your dream while you collect money off it. So you better become a VA yourself if you have dreams of charging $100 an hour to not do any work. Uh, and uh, and I think that's applicable to clients today. Myself, um, it's, it's either very, as a client, yeah, as a client myself, because I hire people, and as somebody who is hired by people, because we have a consulting firm here and we do marketing campaigns and such, I want to work with clients who know as much about what I do as I do or more. I do not want to be the blunt, the one-eyed man leading the blind. I don't want to be the hero guru who's worshipped. I want to be the collaborative partner where we're all in the same wavelength. And everybody knows, uh, you know, they, they know that I get it and I know that they get it. And we're just here to do some work. And that's the best way to get results, if you ask me. I completely agree with you. And that's you. what it's jumps out at me. Argument about this movement, about the non-agency and the digital renaissance, is that is the field we're creating, and I love it. I, this is just this just inspires me. So, 
You drank uh, the Kool-Aid. <laughs> well, you know, you know, right. uh, my my mama never gave me Kool-Aid when we grew up. She was wise enough to know that Kool-Aid right. was right. bad for us. And the only time we ever got soda pop was on Saturday night when they ordered a pizza because we didn't go out on Saturday nights. We ordered a pizza and a movie for the VCR because my parents were uh, working on building their dream, <laughs> and this is how they afforded to send us to Catholic school so we could get the uh, the primo private education. I appreciate that now looking back. But in the day, I'll say, right. why can't we go on vacations? But heck, on Saturday night, I got soda pop. But uh, so I didn't drink any Kool-Aid growing up, so I got to make up for it now, is my point. So well, continue, well, continue to serve it to me. And I prefer the cherry flavored. That would be great. Just keep it coming. That'd be perfect. <laughs> okay. Right. Noted on my list. Okay. We have seven minutes left here, and there's one more thing I want to get it into. Um, sure. And uh, – now, how is this impacting some of the companies that we see today, businesses, brands, and also how is it impacting consumers? Let's just get into that a little bit more, just so that people can see this digital renaissance and this non-agency moving. It's coming. What do they need to be prepared for other than knowing that there's no such thing as I'm not a designer? And how are they going to thrive as it continues to overtake the market, which I see it doing? Businesses um, in general have been on the pathway of creating what they call integrated teams. So you've heard a lot of buzzwords, omni-channel retailing, integrated teams. All of those things sound great, uh, but in practice, they still don't work. And I've, I've heard clients talk about, oh, we'll get rid of the offices and make everybody work in cubicles and open spaces because that's going to break the walls of communication, right? That is not always the smartest move. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> I would say if you go to a spatial designer who will tell you that that may not have been the best move that you made, except for maybe now you've got droves of people quitting the company because they can't think, they can't, right. you know, they can't function properly. Um, it is going to be this idea, you know, I have a Japanese home upbringing, so I will tell you something that worked very well for me. Is okay. You will need to you will need to apply the idea of cross training, and I think that you know we've been talking about it for years, but people have not been really doing it. Um, I I think it would be a wonderful idea for people in the business of retail to to actually require not only that their sales force that but their corporate staff and their brand teams all actually have to try to engage in the exercise of designing an experience. In designing an experience the way the other side of the world, the traditional agencies, interactive agencies, digital agencies, and now the non-agencies would, so that you are better prepared to do exactly what we just talked about, which is to speak intelligently and know what you're asking for and know what to expect. And that is the most critical thing, and I think businesses are still very much struggling with that. More time on understanding the subject matter of the thing that you're requesting, 100%. That's going to be the biggest struggle and should be the biggest focus. Yeah. Uh, Technology is just getting more expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it's getting more expensive and it's also getting more expansive, which to me, yes. being a, a techie kind of person is kind of exciting. I mean, I, I love gadgets. And, you know, you were talking about, uh, you know, if you don't know how to hook up your home stereo system, you better learn how. Uh, when I was in college 20 years ago, uh, I wanted nothing more than a system for my Camaro. And uh, I was able to get competition quality 
audio auto auto sound equipment like uh, like the subwoofers, the wires, the amps, the capacitors, the kick panels, and things like that. Because I had some friends who were on the competition auto sound circuit, and every six months they would sell off all their old stuff and get like the newest, 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 newest stuff. So I was fine with the newest, newest, newest. Uh, if they wanted to have the newest, 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 because they would sell their newest, newest, newest at cut rates, and I was driving all the competition level system for a fraction of retail, which was great, and I learned to wire that sucker myself. I learned about you know, grounding into the frame of the car. Uh, the way we mounted the amps in the Camaro is there was a shelf in the hatch, because these are the third generation Camaros with the big hatches on the back, right above the gas tank. So drilling through that shelf on the hatch, and there's about three inches of space between that hatch and the gas tank, and we were using those special kind of nuts and bolts that lock in place. And we basically made it so that if you wanted to steal the amps, you had to steal the car. Because, uh, I mean, I didn't even tint the windows. You could just see those Alpine V12s just all lined up on the shelf right there. You could see the brains of my system. Anybody could walk up to the car and see it. And it's like, you know, whatever. Uh, but I had a system worth more than my car. In fact, when I sold the car, I didn't sell the car. I sold the system and said they had to drive the car off with it. Adam, let me ask you a question. Was yeah. it new, new, new? Yeah. It was new, 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 yeah. It was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the people who wanted the four new stuff were selling off their three new stuff. And, uh, I mean, now I was paying, like, pennies on the dollars because they wanted to up offload this stuff quickly because on the, on the competition right. circuit, even though it was only three months old, it was already ancient history. It was like, you know, whatever. It didn't have any value to them. To me, it was priceless. I just, want, I just want the car so, to sound good. I want the surround sound system in my house to sound good, and I will tell you that um, if you ever have an opportunity to see me work, you'll see that I oftentimes I'm, I'm in the window, I'm on the ground, I'm hooking things up or I'm unhooking things. Nice. Uh, so it's not just behind the scenes. It's actually in the windows, on the floor, in the actual space, um, getting my hands dirty. So wow. that's what's coming around the corner. Learn okay. to hook up that system, folks. Yes. <laughs> and you know what else is around the corner? The end of the Business Creators Radio Show episode. we got two minutes left. 30 seconds of those are for you. Uh, tell us, our listeners on the edge of their seats, they want to learn more, they want to engage with you. What do you have to offer? How do you do it? If you'd like to get a hold of me, um, I think oftentimes what I recommend is I think Adam has done a great job. A nonagency.com will give you a great starting point to myself and to my collective. Otherwise, you can always Google me. I love that. Google me. I did give Google a plug. Google me, Michelle M. Collins. You'll find that I come up pretty high on LinkedIn as a consultant, as a yep. creative director, and a strategist. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I want to give a plug back to you, Adam. I think your show is great, and I think what you're doing is, is really terrific. So thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Well, I'm just, I'm just blushing redder than a ripe apple. Thank you so much. That is great. That is the best kindest thing I've heard all day kindest thing I've heard all day except for that way my cat just kind of chirped at me a little bit ago letting me know it's almost dinner time so thank you very much for uh -oh. that <laughs> <laughs> uh oh yes ab absolutely so uh, Michelle M. Collins of anonagency.com I'll say it one more time thank you so much for hanging out with us here in the Business Creators Radio Show today this has been an honor and believe me in education Thank you. 
And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and subscribe to us on iTunes. Fresh content added weekly. Fresh content added weekly where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. 